You're listening to This Foul Earth. Do us a favour, Matt. Press that notebook at the glove box. I think I've, um... I and the readers. Need them. Right. Not many left to do now. Nick McCoy. He's one, but I heard he's heading home shortly, so I reckon we'll pick him up in a bit now. Stephen Connolly. Now then. He's, uh... He died in the autumn. I'm sure. I'll have to update this when I'm home. He was, he was a good boy. He never gave me any bother. Nick might try and run, but Stephen was always good teacher about it. Every year I do this. I've uh, been doing it about 15 years now. Alright, uh, right, my name is Rhys Morris, and it's my job to give out the Kisan Adoleg, which is the Christmas kiss. And that basically means I have to go around here, give a little kiss to every single bloke in the village before midnight on Christmas Day. They do it outside of Wembo. I don't think they want to know if I'm honest, but uh, well, it's been the tradition here for well, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But uh, every year, somebody has to go around and give all the boys a kiss. I've been doing it about 15 years, as I said, but somebody's always done it. I remember when I was when I was a boy, I must have been there to my father's knee, and he'd take me down the pub at lunchtime on Christmas Day, which you could do then. And Stephen Jones would come in, he was a bus driver, and they said he had the reddest cheeks of any man in history. They compared him to a bunch of paintings and everything. They couldn't find red cheeks anywhere. They colour matched his tombstone to his cheeks when he died. The parish play out. They said, that tombstone looks like a dog's dick, pardon my language, but it was his dying wish. So there's one bright red gravestone in the churchyard now. And it says Cheeky Boy on it. Just says Cheeky Boy carved into it. No name, no date of death or anything. That's the way he was. Anyway, he'd come in, red cheeks, belly out here, and he'd say, right, Merry Christmas, boys, and he'd give all the boys a kiss and shake their hands and wish them all a Merry Christmas. And I said, Dad, why does, why does Stephen come and kiss all the blokes on Christmas? And he said, it means you're a man, and it means you belong. And I knew what he meant, even then. And I says, I was only about six at the time, right? I says, uh, when I'm grown up, can I give you a kiss for Christmas? And he says, no, son, if you ever kiss me, I'll kill you. He was a fine father, right? but, he, he, but he was a product of a different time, my old man. He, he was hard. All his mates was hard. Right? But they all believed in the Christmas guests and they all respected the tradition of it, you know? Well, I set off about midnight on Christmas Eve. I get 24 hours and I got about, got about 300 blocks to get through. So that's about, you work that out, that's about 13 an hour. But obviously, you know, I go home, I do the presents with the grandkids and all that and to have some Christmas dinner, and I has a bit of a kip now. So on average, I have to do about 20 an hour to keep that time clear. It's a bit like a game now, to tell you the truth. Some of the, some of the boys, they really, they really believe in the tradition of it, like my father did, and they'll let me give them a little peck, no trouble. But some of them seen as a bit of a challenge. You know, they run if they see me come in, but it's only good fun. Like, you know, I don't get everyone every year. Some of the runners get the better of me some years, but I've had a clean sheet most of the years I've been doing it. You don't win nothing if you get away from me. It's not like that. It's just it's just how some people choose to interpret it, you know, make it a challenge. That's mostly the younger fellas, you know. The old boys they just see it as part of living you, you know. To them it's our thing. It's uh, you know, it means you means you belong. Oh, hang on. That's Nick. Right, hold on. He's a he's a sprinter he is, right? So we're just gonna let him we're just gonna let him because that's a cul de sac there, right? So we'll just right, here we go. Right, here we go. Nick! 
Nick, no, Nick, no sense running, boy. Come on. Uh, I got you fair and square, Nick. Come on. Come here. Vertigo, eh? That's awful, that. Oh, it's been terrible, it's been absolutely terrible. Well, give my love for me and Glenn, like. We'll, we'll, have to have round, we'll have to have round for dinner in the new year now. Ah, oh, that's a nice man. Uh, We've been missing you, man. I would like that. Drop the text, will you? I will do. Uh, you, you have a good Christmas, man, right? Yeah, you too, Reese. Uh, you have a good Christmas, right? You too. That's about as hard as it gets, right? And it's not always like that. If if I think they're gonna run, I sometimes I I just like a little scream just to confuse them. You know what I mean? I put them on the back foot like ah, you know, and that buys you a couple of seconds. Did you see, see where he froze there when I shouted out to him? I yell fire sometimes. Which, you know, I I know it's not what you like, but it's whatever works, you know. Right, goes for him. I cross him off. He's done now. Right. Nick, Nick McCoy, that was. Good boy, Nick. He's a, his wife's got vertigo, man. Awful business. Two years ago, he, he won't mind me telling you this. He tried to crawl into a sewer duct to get away from me. He got stuck. Ass just sticking out of the concrete with his legs kicking. I only found him because all the kids were slapping his ass, right? They was through the trousers, like. I, I thought I could hear applause. I thought one of the kids was doing wheelies on a new bike or something. But there was a young lads. We were all stood in a semicircle around him. And he was absolutely creasing his backside with the flat of their palms. They were buttering his ass, I mean rotten. I clears him off, and I give him a little kiss on the ankle, and then I call a fire brigade. I stayed with him half an hour, waiting for him. He said he just lives a thrill of it all. You know, he's a good boy, but he's got no, he's got no strategic mind. You know, all he's walking into dead ends or getting stuck in things. You know, fire department, I come on a couple of times for him. You learn a lot about people doing this. I've noticed. You learn what they're really like. I guess most of them are on the cheek or on the lips is their choice. You know. But in situations like that, you have to take what you've got on offer to you. I've kissed ankles, I've kissed glove dance, I've done hats, I've done a couple of hats. I had, I had to sneak up behind loose lint, I had him on the cap while he was queuing up outside the shop. He argued the toss, he said, oh, hats not ahead and all the rest of it, but he didn't have a leg to stand on. Some of the boys will do anything to try and catch me out. They'll smear all sorts on their face to try and put me off nasty stuff. Didn't bother me, I tell them. I ate a jar of mustard every day when I was training in the army. That was one of the that was one of the drills, like, you know, eat this mustard. That's what they say to you. They say if you don't like the taste of mustard, you've got no business defending whales. They've done all sorts. Colin Peters, he put poison ivy all over himself, trying to keep me away from him. He ended up having to go to A and E. His nose was out here, eyes closed up, all perfume have you. They put him in the ambulance, and I just leans him over and it gives him a little peck on the forehead. He goes all bloody hell, is that you, Reese? I said, it is Colin. I said, don't you ever do something like this again, you stupid bugger now. Come on. His missus went absolutely spare with him. She had to describe the rugby to him for weeks. And she didn't know the rules, or who was passing the ball to who. He said it was a living hell. He didn't give me no bother now. He comes to the pub after lunch. I clear about a third of the list down the pub. That's the only freebie I get, is the pub. 
I get a few of them on house calls. I catch the rest of them as I come in and go around the village. But I get about a third of the list at the boozer of the lunch. I come in, the boys go away, and I, I give them all the kiss. That's where you go. If you don't mind it, we just want to have the way. You know, if and if you want to start taking part, you have to come to the pub. That's always been the way. It's not like you turn 18, you have to start watching your back. You know, you have to come to the pub and you have to ask for it. You know, it's like the vampires now. You've got to invite me in. <laughs> so I, I take some notebook this year. Who we got this year? Uh, oh, the Connor boy. Uh, we've got the Reynolds twins, they're young fellas. Connor's 19, Reynolds boys are 25 apiece, twins, I think. So um, i got no doubt they're going to give me terrible trouble <laughs> next couple of years. But I'll get them. I always get them in the end. It might, take, it might take me a few years, right? But they fall into patterns, you get a bit comfortable one year. You can beat me for years on end. And then one day, you're putting some boxes in the recycling after a couple of drinks, and you feel a breath on the back of your neck. And it's all over then village like this if you're connected right if you're one of us you can't hide in your house all day on christmas it's not it's just not the way it's done yet and it never has been you know you have to you have to come out it's the only way you feel connected to it all if you ask me but hang on hang on i didn't think i was gonna get him that's roger callan roger roger hello reese how you doing i'm all right mate you're gonna make this difficult for me no, no, not this year. No, no, no. Uh, I've had a sherry too many. I think I couldn't run if I wanted to. I did wonder. I did wonder if he was hiding from me this year. I usually get to join the pub. No, 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 Reese. My my wife's sister's down. She's down from Scotland for Christmas. Oh, I'm with you. I, I, I come here then. Don't get angry, you know. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Who's this then? Who's that? It's for the museum. It is, Roger. They're speaking to a bunch of us. All right. Not just about this. You know about about whatever. Like, oh, you're right to that, boys. Hey, hey. <laughs> you you want something for the museum? Him. He's he's uh, he's uh, old enough to be in the he's old enough to be in the museum. You know you. Are, what are you talking about? You're two years older than me, Rod. He's older than me, right? I was in school. Your younger brother, you dozy sod. I don't look it though, do I? Don't I look younger, boys? Yeah, well, I've had a hard life, haven't I? Spending time with you. Come here. Merry Christmas, Roger. Uh, Merry Christmas, Reese. I'll see you in the week. I'll see you in the week. Tara, I tara. Every bugger's got an idea of how it started. There's been about a bit about six stories I've heard, but it's been so diluted down, you know. It's been going near enough 200 years now. The most credible story I've heard, and this is a story that's been passed down from one Christmas kisser to another, so I'm inclined to believe it. Middle of the 19th century. Right? The village, as you see it now, you wouldn't recognise it. All these houses and that, it was farmland. Right? It was pockets of individual small holdings, you know, single families. Then there was about three or four bigger farms, you know, with staff. And the, and the biggest of them belonged to Bingwin Bertress. Right? Who, by all accounts, was a nasty bugger. Could be quite unpleasant. You know? He paid miserable wages. He would send his boys around scrimping apples from the smaller farms or whatever. He was just an old-fashioned miser, like. But he was a well-known eccentric. You know, he had a lot of funny beliefs. He was extremely superstitious. Wouldn't look you in the eye on a Sunday and all that. But he was very into his esoteric literature. Yeah. There was a belief that branched out of Protestantism around the time right? that said that God was not of the heavens, but of the earth, like built into the earth, and that one day. He would reveal himself to the worthy. It was a fringe belief in a time of fringe beliefs, right? But Bingwin believed this totally and utterly, and believed with equal totality that God would appear to him personally. 
well, the small holding families, the smaller farms, they were all tight with each other. They were all good friends by and large. You had to be back then because it was, a, it was a tough business to make work. And they had this bloody robber baron pinching apples, sending his tufts around to put vinegar on the sheep so the wool would stink. Anyway, one Christmas, Penguin's having Christmas dinner with his family and he gets a knock at the door and it's one of his sons. He says, you want to come with me, Dad? We found an apparition in the fields, right? So Penguin throws his coat on and he sprints down to the cabbage fields, right? They get down there and in the mud, underneath a few of the bushes there's a face in the mud but it's moving it's talking and it's got like lifelike eyes staring at Bertrus right? it says Bingwin Bertrus be not afraid I summon you here to bring you peace and a life free from fear now and for all time do you know who I am my son and Bertrus said I know not and the face said I am many things and I have many names some regard me as God and Bertrus is frozen to the spot his dreams had come true. God had appeared to him, a god of the earth, and had summoned him directly. So God says to Bingwin, Witness me, my son, and bring your face close to mine. So Bingwin gets down in the mud, and then God says, Kiss me, my son. Make a loving contact with me, so that you may know peace. A peace you thought impossible in all those tortured hours. I have felt your pain, Bingwin Bertress, right? But I know your heart has never faltered. Kiss me, my son, and become one with the world entire. Bingwin kisses the mud god on the lips, or muddy lips and that. And the face says, do you feel it, my son? And in that moment, Bingwin Bertrus felt a warmth flow through his very being, his very soul, and he began to cry. He said, I feel it, Father, I really do. Oh, how long I have waited to be blessed. I have lived as pure a life as possible in search of this moment. And the face says, you have, have you? You've lived a pure life, have you? Bertrus says, of course, Father. And the face says, you have one flaw yet to rectify, my son. Right? And Bertrus says, what is it, Father? Tell me at once and I shall make it right. And the face says, you're a bloody gullible twat, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas to the biggest fool in the village. And then Bingwin, he has uproarious laughter from the bushes, right? A few of the small holders, they come out of hiding, tears streaming down their cheeks, and two hands, they pop up out of the dirt at Burgess's feet, right? He scrambled backwards, oh, bloody hell, right? And the boys, they pull Lewis Smith out of the ground, who was a character. He had one of the small holders, right? They buried him there in about six inches of mud with just his face sticking out. They packed his face with mud, and they hid in the bushes, waiting for Bingwin's son to come out, right? Who was as daft, if not dafter than the old man. Bertrus never lived it down. Well, the pub got dragged dry that night, and Lewis Smith gave everyone a muddy kiss. He, he left the mud on his lips so everyone could see the man who talked Bingwin Bertrus into kissing Wenvo mud, right? He did it every Christmas down a pub, and eventually the mud, the, you know, the mud got left behind, and he would just give out a little kiss to all the fellas down the pub. And then when Lewis Smith died. Bertrus ran him over with the first card in Wales. Lewis didn't know where the other was, he didn't think to move. When Lewis died, his son took over, and a few people resisted, so his son would chase him all the way back to the houses to give him a kiss. And that's how it started. It was the workers making a land baron kiss somebody's face. And now it's me driving around, sometimes I don't know, close to midnight, trying to pick up some old sods in the 60s and 70s, walking home from the mates' houses. It's funny how things go, isn't it? How did I start doing it? Right, yeah, before me, Christmas Kiss was Tony Lloyd. He did it 35 years, did it since the late 60s until about, I think it was about 2003. He was in his 70s when he stopped, and he was still catching most of the boys, but he'd, he'd slowed down, which you would, wouldn't you, right? 
you have to pick a successor before you stop, and it has to be at least a month before Christmas. And Tony picked me, because I, I, I get on with the boys. I know the area, which is important, and he knew the majority of them wouldn't give me any trouble. It meant a lot to me to be picked, truth be told. He told me a few of his tips and tricks that he picked up over the years. Everyone's got their own way of doing it. But Tony was devious, and he was, he was a bugger. There was a fella called Neil Parsnip. Right? He'd been a tidy middle-distance runner in his day, and Tony's predecessor had never managed to stick a kiss on him. He used to go for drinks at the Awesome Jockey every Christmas Eve, so he's getting ready to go home at 10 to 12, home and safe, before Christmas officially started. Right? And the fella sat next to him at the bar, jumps off his stool, gives him a kiss, and says, Merry Christmas, Parsnip. It was Tony. He had a hat and a beard on, a fake beard, like, he just kept his head down until it was time, and he got him. And Neil Parsnip goes absolutely potty. He says the rule's been broken, but they hadn't, right? It was midnight on the dot. Tony had put the clock forward while Neil had been in the toilet. He loved all that. He loved the fat suits and the zip lines and all the stuff he used. He was an accountant by trade, right? But come Christmas Day, he was bloody, uh, he was bloody SAS. You know, popping out of the edges, ready to plant a smacker on the boys. He had a tactical map in the garage, night vision binoculars he sent off for. He'd catch them out, the ones that hated it, right? And they'd curse and they'd stamp their feet. Some of them went quite mad. Neil Parsnip bit through a wooden spoon on the bar he was so angry. But it was too late then, wasn't it? You know, I don't do all that, all the subterfuge and all that. Tony gave me all his wigs when he retired, but when I was growing up, I was, I was on the village rugby team. And then I was in the army for a bit, so I got a bit more of a strategic eye for it than Tony had, you know? I know how to pin people into a trap, you know? Box them in so there's nowhere to turn. How much longer will it go on for? Well, that's the question, isn't it? All I'll say is, every year, somebody says the Christmas kiss won't last another five years. And they were saying that when my old man was young. But for some reason, the kiss has endured. I honestly don't know why. I think ultimately, people want to belong, don't they? You know, I, th I know everyone's their own man, and what have you, but ultimately, the world's a frightening place. It's dark and confusing and you can't do it on your own. And that's as true now as it was 200 years ago. And a thousand years before that, probably been true since people have been knocking about. And I think this just reinforces that, you know, you're not on your own. Not really. I give you a kiss today and maybe I help you get a fridge freezer into a skip next week. Or maybe you need to borrow your neighbour's, um, I don't know, you need to borrow a ball peen hammer or something. You know he's the same as you and he knows the same, right? So you get the hammer whatever it may be, because you share something. There's a common bond, like you look in your neighbor's face and you think, he's kissed Reese Morris, same as I have. I always think of Brian Pell. He'd been on his own 20 years, right? You just set me off now, right? He's gotta be one of the nastiest bastards in the village. I remember before I started doing the kiss, I thought Brian Pell, I wouldn't use his ashes to grip my driveway in nasty old sod. And I'm being honest with you here, right? I thought when he goes, I'd be at Marks and Spencer's for a bottle of bubbly. He was the plod when I was young. He was always giving us grief. He broke up a sanctioned football match, like an actual county match with a referee and everything. He said it was causing too much noise. I said, there's no crowd, Brian. And he says, I can hear your feet on the ball from over the road. It's public nuisance and your studs are leaving holes in the grass. And he gave me a clip around the spine with his truncheon. And we had to forfeit, because he was going around, he handcuffed the whole team together. We had to try and defend in one big long line. We couldn't get any offence in, you know? Horrid man. He was no better once he retired. He was always phoning the council on the nippers and all that. He was just the worst. But when I took over from Tony, he gave me all his stuff. And he said, words of the wise, leave Brian Pell for last. And I said, you've got to be joking. I am not kissing Brian Pell. He said, no, serious now. He waits around for it. Leave him for last, so you always end on a catch. You don't want to be chasing somebody at midnight and lose him. You go on raging. 
do Brian about five to midnight. And I said, I'm not kissing him. He can kiss himself. Or I'll kiss him, but I'll kiss him with that. I was, I, I was holding up my fist there, right? I said, kiss him with that. Give him a kiss of fist, nasty old shit. I totally said, if you won't kiss Brian Pell, you can't do it, Reese. It's got to be everyone. That's always been the point of this. And if it starts being exclusionary, it'll die out in two years. He said, promise me you'll give Brian Pill his kiss. And Tony wasn't well then, so I, I promised him. But he said he wasn't well. He's still bloody playing lacrosse. I, I think he said that just to get me to agree. Devious, like I said. So I go to Brian's that first year, expecting I was having, I thought I was going to have to hold him down by the shoulders, miserable prick. And he opens the door in a suit. I said, what the bloody hell is this, Brian? And he said, can I have my kiss, Reese? And I looked at him, and I didn't recognise him. I saw something in him I'd never seen before. There's one Brian Bill the copper, there's one Brian Pill the bastard, this is a lonely old man. So I gives him a kiss, and he pulls me in and he hugs me. He doesn't say nothing to me, he gives me a, gives me a big hug, and then he smiles, and he says, Merry Christmas, Reese. And I got it then. It had been him and his missus, just the two of them. She was lovely, what she was doing with him, well. And at that point, she'd be gone about five years, right? And, you know, yes, you know, he hadn't exactly done his best to make friends over the years, but I got the point of it at that point. And since then, you know, I, I actually look forward to seeing him. I'd be sad when he goes now. And I never thought I'd have said that before I started doing all this. But that's the point of it, I suppose, isn't it? Right. Do you want to come with me for this one?